to The Trap Line. This is a new podcast about crisis communication and incident information. I'm Jim Whittington. I'm here with Brad Patassi. How's it going? Well, thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Hey, so you are uh, a lead on one of the Southwest incident management teams as PIO, and you are um, also part of a structural fire department. And so how, how did you get to the, the spot where you have a foot in structure and a foot in wildland? You know, that's a really interesting, uh, interesting story and what I like to joke about a lot. A lot of the, us in the structure side started our PIO careers when we were voluntold that we were going to be the PIO. So my, my journey into PIO started when we had a large structure fire back in 2007 and the chief of the department realized that when nobody spoke to the media because it was a Saturday and all admin staff was gone and our battalion chiefs were busy commanding the fire that the media needed somebody to talk to 24 hours a day 365 days a year so he pulled me into the office when I went on shift that following Monday and sat me down I immediately thought I was in trouble Um, but he looked across the table. He said, Hey, Brad, you like to talk? You're going to be our new PIO. <laughs> so I had no idea what the job really entailed or was, but you know, I kind of said, all right, sir, thank you. I'll, I'll take it and run with it. And so he said, you have a clean blank check, take any training you need, do whatever we can do for the department to uh, support you. But we need somebody that's going to be able to be our, our official spokesperson and, and manage this, um, the media and the public outreach a lot better than what we've traditionally done. Um, so I kind of just took the baton and took all the FEMA training classes I could do, went into the wildland side, took the wildland training classes. I was a member of the department's wildland team. I was a public information officer for my department for, um, for a while, and I was also a member of the wildland team. I went down to the Horseshoe 2 fire back in 2011 on a Type 3 engine as a backseat firefighter. And it was the Southwest area, the type one Southwest area team. Joe Reinhardt was the incident commander. Karen Takai was the PIO lead. And the national ordering system was a little delayed in getting them the resources they needed for PIOs. So I got picked off the truck and I got plopped into the PIO shop. And, you know, eight years later, I'm now a co-lead on the Southwest area team, worked up, earned my type one. Uh, qualification. I work with uh, extremely talented Michelle Fiddler, and uh, yeah, the rest is the rest is history. I guess it's uh, it's been a great journey, and really interesting seeing both sides of the of the fence on it. So when we talk about wildland fire PIOs, you know, I always draw a distinction. Uh, a lot of people confuse PAOs, public affairs officers, mm-hmm. and public information officers, but they're really two different breeds. Even though same tools, sometimes the same people, but different missions. You know, the, the PAO has the long-term image of the organization in mind. And the PIO um, is mostly responsible for the people affected by the incident. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those don't quite work out. Do you sense that conflict in your um, in your regular job on the, the structure side? So we have that just on a little smaller scale. So uh, public information officers in the, in the, the structure side are, are primarily focused on incident-specific information. There was a bad car accident. There was a house fire. There was a drowning. Um, any incident that really impacts the community at the neighborhood or city level. Um, we usually have a command staff above us. So a in my, for instance, in my department, we have an assistant chief over community affairs. And they have a lot on their plate. And one of their function 
would be more similar to that PAO role in the feds. They're looking more at that long-term community branding, department branding in the community, um, kind of that larger side of the umbrella where the public information officers are, they're, you know, on the cell phones, they're responding to the calls, they're at the scenes, and they're doing more incident-specific specific work. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I know you recently comp- completed a master's degree. You want, you want to tell, tell me what that's all about? I did. So I, in 2016, I earned my uh, master's of uh, public administration and public policy from Northwestern University back in Chicago. Go Wildcats. Um, and it was an incredible journey. It definitely got me out of my comfort zone. Um, I definitely burned up a few few brain cells in that that pretty rough two years. But it's been a huge gift, and it's really enabled me to have more of that management perspective, that larger administrative background. Um, that's really important to have as a both a PIO in the structure side and the wildland side. Um, I studied a lot of policy. I kind of understand the policy process now a lot better than what I thought and I assumed I knew back then. So it really helps articulate when we start dealing with the larger complex policy issues that either impact the national wildfire side or at the the city or state level that I may be talking about. Because a lot of people, especially in this day and age when we're dealing with larger, more complex events, everything revolves around a policy decision that somebody made at one point. And so if you can have a good understanding of that background, then you can kind of articulate the impacts down the line and also advocate for change from that firefighter on the ground, getting their boots warm on that fire line, or for us in the structure side running into the building, you can also help be a conduit to advocate for policy up the chain. And, and what I always address it to is I now speak the language of the policymakers, whether it's a city manager or somebody on the federal side. I, I understand a little bit about what their mindset is going into some of these decisions and the complexities behind it. So that master's degree was great. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of lifelong learning. And so it really opened my eyes to, um, you know, continuing to kind of push the envelope, get out of my comfort zone and uh, read a lot. So it's good. Yeah. So speaking of education, you know, we always um, will commonly refer to 520, uh, the advanced incident management class as uh, getting a PhD in incident management. And I know you went through that class just a few years ago, too. And, um, you know, what are you doing to work on your postdoctoral uh, education and incident management? How, how, do, you, how do you keep that, uh, that drive alive and, and keep uh, improving yourself and learning new things? So one of the big things about 520 um, for the incident management, and then also I'm a, a newly promoted captain in the department. It took a few years to test and, test and prepare for captain, just like it takes years to be able to be eligible um, to be selected for 520, is that the process for me is a huge journey. And what I look at as being a captain in my fire department when I got made, just like when I got pinned for being a type 1 PIO, is that enabled me to be in the starting blocks of my career and my education. You know, a lot of people see these as terminal degrees or terminal, you know, there is no type 0 PIOs in this country, you're a type 1. But what it really does is it put the pressure on you. And one of the great quotes I got from 520 my year is that when the expert stops learning, they cease being an expert. And so that developed a little bit of a chip on my shoulder to keep pushing the envelope because I have PIOs that are coming up as trainees that I owe it to them to be um, continuing my education, not only role model and show what needs to be done, but also to stay relevant and stay engaged. 
Um, and so I do a lot of continuing education and a lot of it in our, in our world and incident management is just reading what's out there from press releases that other teams are doing, other different styles of delivering, um, information to, you know, looking at the, the blog from Winnington and associates and, and reading the perspectives of those that have come before me and bringing it into my, my wheelhouse and my arena. And then occasionally going back to academics and looking at big case studies and, and being very interested in issues like Deepwater Horizon. And now that we're, we've been so far removed from some of the larger, more significant complex incidents, are we repeating the same mistakes that we made five years ago? Are we changing? Are we evolving? Um, the other thing too is just networking, you know, picking the brains of my mentors and, and the role models that I have and uh, making sure that we're continuing to push the envelope. Um, so that's, that's the thing, you know, 520 and, and um, all the different promotional processes are, are great opportunities for you to really validate what we've done. Um, but they're merely the starting points of the challenge, which is staying relevant. Yeah, you know, one of the things I struggled with when I was a, a youngster in this business was how much do you copy the people that you admire mm -hmm. and how much of it is your own self? And, you know, eventually you have to figure out that I can borrow things from people and uh, I can, can pick their brain, but I have to filter it and make it my own. And I have to be comfortable with that. Yeah, and for sure. And I, I think that's a, uh, something that we sometimes tend to forget, especially in this kind of celebrity-driven world. Mm -hmm. There's a, a tendency to say, oh, let me be like that person. Well, no, you're not going to be like that person. You're going to be the person you are. And if you accept that, then you can make use of all the good things that person brings, uh, but still stay true to yourself. One of the cool things about that, too, is the progression in the PIO world um, you know, we all star as a type F or a type three PIO type F. And you're really focused at that level on your own growth and development. It's all about you. It's understanding how teams work. You're learning what a trap line is. You're learning where all these different tools and techniques are. And so it's, it's really about, um, kind of self-driven, um, learning, right? And then you progress up to being a type two and you, f it's your first real time that you're going to start supervising but you're not a type one yet. So you're kind of in the middle. So, you know, it's, it's a hard position to be in because you now are responsible for the PIOs that are working under you and in your shop as either type two trainees or, or PIOFs or PIOF trainees. So you have one foot in the door of supervision in developing your subordinates, but you also, a lot of uh, type twos aspire to be a type one. So you also have to develop your own personal skills to bump up the chain to get your type one. So it's that dual focus of interpersonal growth and also developing mentors under you. And then when you become a type one, you're really not opening a task book to be a type zero. And there's really no, it's the terminal step. So what really helps drive me too, is that I have to continue to be relevant in learning, but a lot of it is for the development of everybody under me for my strong one, type one PIOs in my shop for my type two PIOs, type two trainees and PIOF. So focusing on the development of others and keeping them relevant and cutting edge forces me to keep in the books because, you know, as a type one lead, it's really about the development of the folks under you. That's really going to help the succession for one, but your own personal growth, because you got to be giving your students and your trainees the best of what's out there, not just what you've been comfortable with all those years. When you're on incidents, do you set aside time for 
just training, maybe going through some exercises or having discussions with uh, with your PIOs? We do, and I love it, and and we prioritize that. Um, one of the things that's unique on on our team is that we do a very heavy, in depth incident within an incident conversation. Um, depending on how long we're on incidents, our last fire we did it, we actually did two because we had a changing of the guards when we came and I did it within the first couple days. And then when we were leaving, I did one on the end and on the outset. Um, and we get deep and we get into the weeds and the details. And there's something called the PIO incident organizer that was developed as a, a, a guide for PIOs to use on, on incidents. And we go line by line, page by page into the four page section of dealing with incident within incidents or when bad things happen to the responders within our, our management. Um, and we prioritize that as a team. And then we really work every day with our trainees um, to develop. And it's incredibly important because if I'm not going to take the time, if we as a team is, aren't going to recognize the time for trainees, then who will? Um, I think when, when incidents evolve to a type one, we can bring in the complex, we can bring the horsepower and the capacity that we have the numbers that we can allocate time and resources to. And um, we just have to prioritize that because it's usually unique situations when a type one team's there that we can expose our trainees to a lot of different environments. Mm-hmm. Biggest thing I do with my trainees and, and uh, depending on the trainees you like, some love it, some hate it, is I get them out of their comfort zone. I want to make them uncomfortable. And, and I say, I'm your safety net. And I want you to make mistakes because it's not like we've been there, done that as type one leads, but we've seen a lot. We've been exposed to a lot. And if you mess up some way and I don't know how to fix it, that means I didn't know how to fix it. And I'm going to learn right along with you. Um, but I got your back and we're going to get through this together. So it's creating that environment that, you know, turns failures, quote unquote, into lessons is what myself and my, my co-lead really try to do. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite things to do is when you have a, <clears throat> an incident that's going well and everybody's coming back in at the end of the day and uh, the folks in the, the PIO group are excited about what they did and what they accomplished and everybody's in a good mood uh, is to just kind of walk up and, and drop a little problem on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I kind of like make some pause for a second and start thinking and then they remember that, oh, yeah. It's not all fun and games. We are in the middle of, of something that is dynamic and complex, and we constantly have to be thinking. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of an interesting, it's interesting to watch um, kind of the, the change that takes place when you, you just give them a little theoretical problem. Hey, let's think about this for a second, you know. Yeah. Why don't you report back to me in, in 20 minutes what, what you've decided? And then they all get together and start talking, and it kind of engenders a good conversation. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, as I think there's very little argument, especially if you look at recent years, um, 2015, 2017, 2018 in particular, that what we're seeing across the landscape is incidents that are becoming more complex. Uh, seasons that are becoming more complex, seasons that are becoming longer. And uh, we are at risk, I think, of, of uh, depending too much on the people that are already here. So we need, to, we need more good people. And so what do you look for uh, as a, 
as a lead PIO, what are you looking for in terms of uh, a person who you think, oh, they might eventually make a good, really good type one. They might be able to handle this kind of thing. So there's there's a few different character traits I actually look for um, in the, the folks coming through. First of all, the first and foremost is flexibility and adaptability. Um, it's hard to work in an incident where you have set definitions of what you will do, what you won't do, what conditions you want to work in, what tasks you will do, um, and be successful, especially when you're trying to lead. So I, my the type ones that I like, um, the character traits I like are flexibility, adaptability. There are also people that can prioritize. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're prioritizing. You go to the um, grocery store over the you know, the city park in the prioritizing of resources, but it's really prioritizing of um, what really requires a drop everything response. You know, your hair's on fire. We have to address this immediately crisis to, you know, what you can kind of delegate down and entrust your people to do. And the ability to set up an infrastructure within the incident command structure delegate tasks down and then trust your people to do them is a trait that uh, is very hard to develop, but some people are just naturally have that ability to do. Um, so I like that, the, the traits of delegation, the traits of prioritization, um, people that are mission driven, you know, they see the bigger picture, you know, it's when I have to start explaining to a type one PIO trainee or a type a very very strong type two considering go and i and i have to explain to them numerous times that we work for the agency administrators that we're there for them they're not there for us we don't dictate a lot of what they do we can work in cooperation with and we can work in building a relationship but at the end of the day we're merely bringing higher level of horsepower and experience to a problem that an agency administrator is going to have to deal with well beyond our tenure and time there um, but to be able to have that perspective because once you realize that then you can work and build these great relationships with these agency administrators they may have ways that they want it done and even if it doesn't jive with your leadership style or even if it just doesn't jive with your communication plan you think that will be the end-all be-all savior there's a reason why they're making these recommendations in this community and I, I've been with teams and I've witnessed some you know lead PIOs that just kind of brush that off and say hey this is the way that we're going to do it these are the tools that I'm going to use they don't know you know we have just more experience and they're completely missing the boat so they have to have the perspective of that we're here to work for somebody and make that work even if there's things that you don't necessarily agree with there's reasons why some of these decisions are being made and you have to have that kind of servant um, you know, servant leadership uh, style when it comes to working with these agency administrators. Um, the other thing too is I always like to work with people that have fun. And I think when you work your way up and you're in a lead capacity, you, you have to be able to um, still have fun and enjoy the job. Um, you have to be able to have those operational pauses and, you know, break the tension in the, the shop. You have to be a good read of people, um, but you just, you have to have fun at the job and you can work with people that you know are in it for a paycheck or you know they're in it because they're just institutionalized to 
go out on these assignments and do their thing and you know they have their cup of coffee in the morning and they may smile at some point during the day but it's not fun and then you work with the people that are truly passionate about it and they're excellent at their craft and they're playing music in the shop and they're making sure everybody keeps that good um, emotional state at all times because we're dealing with bad stuff for 14 days it's it's a psychological um pressure cooker at some time so having that leadership ability to have fun is good too um yeah it's tough there's just there's just so many different parts of having it as a type one pio but um i the the bigger the the trainees that i invest the most time in are the ones that have those those character traits and and kind of see the bigger picture um because then you can see that really translate in the people working under them and the products that they're producing it answers the whys more than just going in and doing a task and getting hyper-focused on one skill set. Right. You know, <clears throat> going back to what we were talking about in 520, you know, 520 has made a big uh, change to where it's now really focused on um, strategic approaches uh, to complex uh, dynamic incidents. And that ability to think strategically, even though sometimes it's hard to define what that really is, mm-hmm. Um, is is an absolute key, and then I think another thing you brought up is is the word servant, and you know it's it's always a pleasure to work with somebody who really knows who they're in service to, you know what is what their purpose is, and it's not a selfish purpose, it's a it's a giving kind of purpose, and that uh, uh, that's an important trait because if you're not if you're in it for yourself, you're not going to last very long given what we're facing and and the kinds of things we, we do and we encounter. Um, you know, I want to I wanna thank you, Brad. I think you've brought up some really good points. Um, I hope that uh, you'll, you know, we can talk again and, and sure. see yeah. if we can. Anytime. Uh, maybe ask you a few more questions and get your thoughts on some other things. But I want to thank you very much for, for being here. This has been the uh, Trap Line. I'm Jim Whittington. Thank you very much.